Hosting for With the First Link on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network is brought to you by Fansets, creators of cool pins and memorabilia from your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use code TREKGEEKS, all capital letters, for your exclusive 10% discount. Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Samoan, and today we'll be talking about Contagion. This episode was written by Steve Gerber and Beth Woods and directed by Joseph L. Scanlon. It first aired on March 18th, 1989. For today's check-in, let's talk about archaeology. I play a video game. Yeah? Called Stellaris. Okay. It's one of my favorite video games of all time. And you do, there's a component of it now, one of the elements that was downloaded as like an expansion of the game was called uh, relics or ancient relics or alien relics or something like that. Okay. And you have to go and find these archaeological dig sites throughout the galaxy that you're exploring. So you start off on like one planet and then you, you kind of like explore other planets and stuff like that. But you can find these little archaeological dig sites. And it's neat because each one of them adds a little story to the game oh, cool. about some past civilization or maybe you're finding the logs of a craft ship somewhere that's ancient in some way. But the I never thought about archaeology, I guess, in terms of our, our own society as being very fascinating until I started thinking about it in space. And I like it in terms of that it's a story about life through the universe. Like if we were to go into space and actually find another civilization, it's probably as likely or even more likely that we would find the relics of that civilization or evidence of their technology. Like what our most distant probe that we have right now in space is called Voyager. It will last for a billion years. It's probably more likely that someone's going to find that probe than maybe even us. They're going to find a, a relic, a, an archaeological piece of our society. But there's a story there. And I I find that really fascinating because I loved paleontology when I was a kid. I was really into dinosaurs. Yeah, dinosaurs are cool. I love cosmology now when we're studying space and we're about to have these new pictures come from this James Webb Space Telescope on the 12th. Yeah. We're going to be able to see farther into space than we ever have before. We're, we're always looking into the past and into history. And whether it's archaeology, paleontology, cosmology, in a way, that is our science peeling back the story of the universe and maybe also then therefore especially with archaeology about life in the universe and so some of my favorite episodes of star trek touch on this topic of archaeology there's this one there's chase in season six mm -hmm. there is that episode where they find a dyson sphere kind of floating around in space which in a sense is archaeological as well so yeah so i i i find this interesting because it's a story it's about learning about the story of of life huh yeah this is i mean this is the episode where we're sort of introduced to Picard's interest in archaeology, which is kind of mm -hmm. cool that that then is held on to throughout the series. I, yeah, archaeology was never something that I was that interested in. I'm more interested in like the like land formations and thinking about that. Like I was recently uh, in Niagara Falls and so I was looking at the Niagara Falls and just thinking about and I I mean my knowledge my historical I don't know what you'd even call it like historical and like prehistoric knowledge is not great so I don't I don't know exactly when the Niagara Falls formed but just the idea of like slowly slowly over time you know glaciers and water like just kind of slowly eroding rock formations to make make them the shape that they are now but then this shape that they are now it feels permanent but on a much longer scale it's not permanent and like you know every however many 
decades, the falls are getting like a however many fractions of a centimeter smaller because of the water just eroding the rock. Like I just find that so cool. And I love mountains. And one of the reasons that I love mountains is that I just like just the the idea that like this, the ground that we're on, it feels so solid, but it's actually not like it, it moves and it changes and nothing's, nothing is permanent. Not even, not even the ground we stand on. Yeah, that everything's part of this flow that we're, we're that we're so that we're only aware of because we do science because we study it. Yeah, and we just rotated out a, a story or a movie that we used to play at the planetarium up until this month. I actually I loved it. It was called The Birth of Planet Earth. Oh. It um it talked about the story of the formation of the planet and like how we all got here uh, through geological evidence and also by studying the planetary formation and other solar systems and people would often say at the end of the film, because I'll sometimes do a debrief with the audience and just ask people how they felt at the end of the planetarium show. And people would say, you know, we're just a speck. We're just like this this breath of mist in cosmic time and even in geological time to our planet. And that's true. But I think that in studying it and understanding that, we might be like a small component of the story, but we are a part of that really big story. And I think that is fascinating that we've come to understand, especially as life. We don't know how common the phenomenon of life is throughout the rest of the universe. And so we are, yeah, maybe a minuscule length of time compared to geologic time and the motion of continents and the the creation of mountains, but we get to bear witness to it. And that is astonishing. You were also talking before we started recording, you mentioned also some of the more problematic aspects of archaeology. Yeah, there's actually a display about this now at the Museum of Vancouver. Okay. And I, I think people should go check this out. But it's it's criticism about archaeology from the standpoint that it is it can devolve into a very colonial and racist perspective that it is the collection of artifacts from yeah. peoples who are gone when they're not actually gone. And that is certainly true in Canada. We see that happen of archaeological Mm -hmm. uh, relics that are taken from indigenous peoples that are then put on display, but those people are still here. And it's like, wait a second, we're not gone. And not only that, but we don't have agency over those, those artifacts. So when I started working for museums in and around Vancouver, I went to a number of conferences where there are efforts now that I talked about, about repatriating these artifacts back to Indigenous communities so that they then have control over them, or at least ensuring that there is permission to put the artifacts on display. And, you know, otherwise it's not, it's not archaeology, it's not artifacts, it's trophies. Right. And that is that is really problematic. That's just an effort. That's just that's just efforts of colonialization. So it totally uh, is. If you ever see the British Museum, just the outside of the British Museum, like its uh, facade, I guess, is so. Hang on, I'm gonna pull up an image of it just so I can make sure I'm not misspeaking here. Yeah, like the <laughs> the the front of it. So there are like all these columns, but then above the. Co- columns there's like all these like people and it's basically you know we took over the world like yeah and it's what is the british museum full of well yeah all these trophies all these stolen things right not no people didn't didn't submit their things to the british museum like please put our our goods on display yeah i i saw a meme recently about this from like uh it was an indiana jones meme Oh, it's yeah. kind of poking at him when he's like, it belongs in a museum. But they're like, yeah, but in the country it's from, right? And for the people and representing the people that it's from. Right. And he's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that that's like, that's a, a really important piece of archaeology and that history, just keeping in mind that the history is important, but we rarely get the full story of that history. Right. And and that comes up in this episode as well. Picard yes. will talk about that too, about who gets yes. to control the narrative of that history. Yeah. 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 And so in this sense, there's also a strategic element here that it, I think probably is important in a, I, I don't want to, I don't like, I'm not an expert on this, but it's something I was thinking about in terms of what does the power of finding a relic then do? So in this case, it's technology in terms of it being 
falling into the Romulan hands. And we see why that's the case, because the technology that the this ancient civilization has left over is quite powerful. But what happens if you find a relic that's, say, religious in nature? And you can say, oh, therefore that grants me this manifest destiny. And we see that happen with like, religious artifacts and relics that have been peddled over the centuries. Yeah. That we say, oh, I've got this piece of the cross or I have this shroud or I've got this thing that therefore is going to empower my my empire or my decisions or my godhood or my kingdom. Yeah, for sure. I also think something that has come up a few times I've seen I've seen a few tweets about it recently but also like not so recently like there will be news about, you know, this person who fought in the particular army in this particular war like we've looked at their bone structure and it turns out they're a woman and right it's that's always something that i find so i always have such such uncomfortable feelings about that because like okay maybe they they were a woman maybe they were a a trans man maybe they're you know we're talking about someone from a really long time ago maybe from population who where you know we don't have a great understanding of like maybe they're maybe they didn't follow such as a rigid gender binary like we don't know and it's always like as this I don't know I feel like it's often presented as this like women's empowerment thing when mm-hmm. to me it feels like reducing genders to specific body parts which I which I don't love yeah I've heard the science of being able to determine at least biological sex by by skeletal structure isn't an exact science either it's not yeah. It's not. And it, it but it, it also to me it's like I don't know, it just kind of buys into this idea that that's the most important thing about a person is their sex or their gender like right. and Right. Yeah. Again like that or I mean the other the other piece of it that I do find funny is sometimes there will be like maybe this is more less of like determining through looking at bodies, but there will be like a, a historical story of these two women who like grew really old together and it's like and they were best friends and they they shared a (laughs) bed and it's like wow you're really working so hard to ignore that queer people have always existed yeah throughout time it's not like it's a it's like a a woke creation of modern society No, no we've always been here yeah yeah yeah, so yeah, a lot of problematic things in looking back on the past, determining who gets the narrative, and then deter- did getting to who gets to say whether or not a people group are gone or not, because that's been an issue. <laughs> yeah, when it's not the people themselves, that's, that's yeah, exactly. A good yeah, especially if they're and if they're around to complain about that, that's probably an indication right there. <laughs> that's a good sign that. Uh... But in this case, the Iconians look like they were. It looks like they are extinct, but it's... Well, it does, but then it turns out they might not be. They may not be. That's right. They may have escaped somewhere else, as we'll find out. And I'm glad that, not in this episode, but we, or or even in this franchise, but we do return to the Iconians at some point in the future. We do. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. And I believe in Star Trek Online, the video game as well. Oh, there you go. There you go. Should we get into the episode? Let's do it. All right. What happens? In this episode, the Enterprise responds to a distress signal from the USS Yamato, and the crew ends up discovering an ancient gateway to different worlds. That's basically how the the episode opens with the captain's log telling us that they are responding to this distress signal, and we also get the the information that the captain of the Yamato is Picard's old friend Donald Varley. The Yamato is in the neutral zone, so it's actually quite dangerous what the Enterprise is doing right now. They're sort of going on an unauthorized mission into the neutral zone. I don't think either side or the Romulans nor the Federation are supposed to be here. My understanding is the neutral zone is a buffer between these two empires and that there's both sides have made an agreement not to enter that zone. Yeah, it's not just that nothing, like they're not supposed to fight in that zone. Like they're, I think they're not supposed to be there. So Anytime a ship enters from either side, it's considered an act of aggression or it's or at least right. suspicious. Suspicious, that's right. Yeah. So the Yamato is also suffering from dangerous malfunctions. Yeah. The data tells Picard that they're almost finished downloading the log. So they've been downloading the Yamato's log for a distance as they're approaching. And Riker mentions that there was an odd hiccup, he says, but they think it might be related to the malfunctions. I wasn't clear if the hiccup was on the Enterprise or the Yamato's hiccups. I'm guessing the Enterprise. I think the hiccup ends up being the malfunctions, like the, the, malfunction, the other yes. program that they accidentally download. That yes, right. So 
Yeah, we had we had unsafe downloading yeah. of data from the Yamato here. Yeah, yeah so the firewall isn't properly set up. Yeah, yeah, we didn't have our antivirus scan antivirus on or whatever. Yeah, Windows Defender. So Warp says that there's no other vessels around other than the Yamato. That reminds me of in like uh, it would sometimes happen in Buffy the Vampire Slayer where like someone would look in a mirror and you, it would just be them surrounded by the background. It's And then you're like, oh, there's going to be a vampire behind them because vampires don't have reflections. I kind of felt like Worf Ooh. saying there are no other vessels around. is like, oh, so there's going to be a cloaked Romulan ship nearby. Yeah, there's going to be somebody <laughs> around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, especially now that we've been we've been introduced to the Romulans. We know they have cloaking technology. Yeah. yeah. So when we approach the Yamato, we see that it's another Galaxy-class ship. So this is a ship that is a sister ship of the Enterprise. Yeah, it looks, it looks just like the Enterprise. Just like the Enterprise. We see Captain Varda. I like this guy. He's so grumpy. <laughs> yeah. He shows up on the view screen, and he and Picard are friends. And yeah. Varley lists all the things that aren't working on the ship and the crew. And they've lost 18 people because at one point... The ship's computer shut down the the atmosphere containment field on one of the shuttle bays, and I guess everyone was blown out into space. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. And there's like they lost a team in engineering. It's just, it's not good. He believes that there might be some kind of design flaw. And it's funny because he's like, I should have maybe run these ships through more tests. Yeah, and, 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 more, and then Picard's like, so grumpy. Wait a minute, are you talking about the same kind of ship that I'm on? Like, yeah, he's <laughs> he's like, hey, listen, we like our Enterprise, okay. <laughs> Don't be dissing Galaxy-class ships. This sounds like a you problem. Yeah. But basically, the ship just started to fall apart. And, like, different systems, not like uh, this one thing isn't working. It's, like, all over the ship and all different systems, things aren't working. So Riker offers to evacuate the non-essential personnel to the Enterprise. And Varley says that that would be premature. And I was kind of, are you sure about uh, yeah, that? Like, You've already had 18 not? people die. Yeah. It's like, why wouldn't you leave the ship at this yeah, point? Yeah, that was a little weird. So Picard mentions that they will try to fix the ship as fast as possible. And he's like, so that we can both get out of here because we're right. in the neutral zone. We're not supposed to be here. And then, so then Varley explains why he's there. And he says that he thinks he has found the Iconian homeworld. He needed to get there because it wasn't just to like satisfy his, you know, a curiosity about it, but he didn't want the Romulans to find it first. He says that would have been really dangerous. And he mentions the Iconians. He, he talks about myth. He's found yeah. information that makes them seem a lot less like a myth. So yeah. obviously it's establishing the Iconians or some kind of known people group, but probably very little information about them. Right, right. He says that like, oh, I, I got some information that made them seem like they would they were real, not mm-hmm. not not a myth. As he's explaining what he's doing there, his video and audio sort of cut out. He's able to say that the Iconian technology could give the Romulans an edge if they decided to use it. And then energy builds up in the Yamato's engineering section. The magnetic seals in the antimatter chamber start to decay, and then the transmission cuts out and the Yamato explodes. Yeah, there's like, Worf is mentioning that there's this energy buildup and they're trying to, from the engineering section that he's scanning and they're trying to tell Captain Barley, they're like, hey, and all of a sudden you just see this bright flash, the engineering section, so the star drive section with the the nacelles, like you see the nacelles blow off the ship and there's this really dramatic explosion, like you see all the fire and you can see the saucer section of the Yamato just sail off into space and all the hull just burning off over the outside of the ship. It's actually a super cool effect that we rarely It is see. a very cool effect. Yeah, we don't see something like that very often. Like a, a ship. I remember watching this as a as a young person. First of all, I didn't know that there were sister ships or different This is the first time I learned that there's design classes. Yeah, I thought that like the Enterprise was the only ship that looked like that. Yeah, yeah. So when they had another one, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of neat." Yeah. But then to see the hull melt away off the ship, like you can see the skeletal frame it's of the ship as the outside cool. burns off. Yeah. It's a neat effect. It's obviously tragic that this happened, of but course. it is a really neat of effect. Course. And then, and then we get some like super '80s synth music. They just like lean hard on the synth for this one. Yeah, we're still very much in the '80s soundtrack here. Worf says that there is a Romulan vessel coming within sensor range, and that's when we go to an intro. One of the intros that actually has has <laughs> introed the episode. It really has, yeah. not just a little yeah. bit. This one, it's it's. 
like a this is a good a good intro. So after the intro, clearly we're left with the idea or the possibility that the Romulans attack the Yamato, and that's why it has exploded. So we can't tell at this point if that's what happened. So Picard asks the Romulans why they are present in the neutral zone. And of course they, they respond by saying, Well, why are you in the neutral zone? And nobody answers. <laughs> this happens yeah. a couple times that they just keep answering each other with questions and they don't want to answer those questions. So it's just a back and forth. Yeah, this is a common conversation in the neutral zone with Romulus. Yes. And we're at anywhere else in space where it's like, yeah. no one really wants to answer any questions. Yeah. Uh, the Romulans, uh, they say that they did not destroy the Yamato. And the the subcommander also says that if they had, they would have destroyed the Enterprise as well. She's like, we wouldn't have just destroyed one ship if we were going to destroy your ships. This is really similar to what they said the last time we saw them in the season one finale when they were like, no, we aren't the ones who have been destroying your outposts. And if we had been, you would know because we would destroy you too. Like it's it's a funny way that the Romulans claim innocence is like, no, we didn't do this horrible thing because if we had done it, we would have done worse. Would have done it worse. Yeah. <laughs> Then Picard, I like how Picard just sees through Romulan, the Romulan thread. He's like, okay, whatever. Like, it's no big deal. Yeah. He tells the Romulans that they'll leave when they figured out what happened to the Yamato because they need to stay there and study what's gone on. The Romulans cloak again and Worf wonders if, because basically Riker says, well, we know as long as they're cloaked that they can't attack us because from what we understand of Romulan cloaking technology is that it takes so much power to cloak the ship that there's no more power right. left over for right. the weapon systems. Worf thinks maybe. Yeah, maybe they've got around that 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 problem. Yeah. Like Worf is very into this idea that the Romulans were probably the ones who attacked. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Classic Worf here. Classic Worf is just like shoot first, ask questions later. When Romulans are concerned especially. When Romulans are concerned especially. Yeah. So an hour later, LaForge explains what happened. So they're in the they're in the briefing room. And this is the first time I think that we're introduced to the idea that the engines of a ship are actually pretty dangerous. Yeah. I remember watching this episode and being like, oh, wow, like I'd never really thought of that. We The first time we get introduced the idea of like an antimatter explosion. We don't. I don't think they actually say warp core breach because we get into that later, the idea that the warp core of the Enterprise can blow up. But the way that the ships work in Star Trek is they are a, a matter and antimatter reactor. So they're mixing matter and antimatter creates this, this reaction and we use that to power the ship to faster than light speeds. But it also means you have a whole bunch of antimatter in the ship and when antimatter and matter meet, they explode. They annihilate each other. It's, it's like the most energy that you can, I think, get out of matter, if I'm correct. And so when the magnetic seals have ruptured on the ship, on the Yamato because they have been damaged. The computer is supposed to automatically dump all the antimatter out into space. That process started, but then it was halted for some reason, and there was enough antimatter left in the ship to blow it up. Yes. So there's no evidence that this had anything to do with the Romulans, that there was a weapon or anything. And LaForge actually says he agrees with with the assessment that Varley had. He says this might be a design flaw. He says this is a galaxy because they're Picard and Riker are both really shocked that a galaxy class ship might have a design flaw. And he's like, it's a really sophisticated piece of machinery. It's possible they missed things when they were testing them. <laughs> Just by coincidence, the other day I was having a conversation with uh, some family members about like the software that cars run on now. And like, mm -hmm. I'm quoting my sister here, so I cannot take credit for this, nor can I really fully understand it all. But basically what my sister was saying was like, if you, if you don't put software through the same tests that you put hardware through, you run into a lot of problems. Right. The more sophisticated a machine gets, like a galaxy class starship, the more things can go wrong. Yeah, this would be one of the worst things to go wrong. Like I can understand like one of the doors doesn't work properly or maybe there's a malfunction in navigation, but you don't really don't want your matter and antimatter to have an uncontrolled mix. That's you just really a bad don't. thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Troy wonders if they should now leave. They're like, okay, if we know that it's not the Romulans, then maybe we should get out of here. But Picard says they should stay to give LaForge more time to figure out what happened in case it's now a problem that's going to happen to their ship. So Picard goes to the ready room and he searches through Varley's personal logs for entries that have the words Romulan and Iconian. And there are six logs. It's like hashtag Iconian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so... The the logs basically show a progression first of curiosity. He's got this Iconian artifact. Uh, so first there's that curiosity. Then he finds Iconia. 
Uh, they go there. They deal a bit with, with a Romulan cruiser. They're probed by an, an Iconian probe. And then finally they've got uh, th- this system's failure. And Varley says in his log that they're about to meet up with the Enterprise. And he expresses the desire that Picard should continue this search specifically to prevent Iconian technology from getting into the hands of the Romulans. Right. So basically we've taken on the mission now at yes. this point. Because if there is if there is technology there that might find, fall into the hands of the Romulans, that could be a problem. Just side note, a lot of the logs are really short. Yeah, I, I thought it was, I loved how he gets progressively more grumpy about them. <laughs> He's like, we'd, we'd be able to carry on on our mission if it weren't for all these damn malfunctions. <laughs> And it's very clear that if you look at the logs, they've been scanned by this Iconian probe. And like right after they've been scanned by that probe, he's like, now we're having all these malfunctions. Might be a connection here. There could be a connection there, but no one, it, they just ended up blaming the ship and didn't think that an encounter with an alien probe might cause any issues on your on your computer system. So Picard goes to leave his ready room and he goes to the door and it doesn't open. Right, so on, all, now we're starting to get a hint that these malfunctions are beginning to hit the ship as well because yes. Picard almost walked straight into his door. Yeah. I think more likely, Ruthie, that was a problem with the offstage crew members not pulling the cables on the door in time. It's but, possible. You know, they needed to be like really, really in sync for that. They really so. do for those things to happen. <laughs> yeah. So on the bridge, they look at a visual of this probe that Varley mentioned in his log. And so it's like a this blue globe and you see this like static electricity looking thing around it and it seems to be transmitting something. Yeah, and, and they they ask Data, some, they're like, have you ever seen anything like this or do, are we familiar with anything like this? And Data says that no, we, we don't know what it is, but it does, it might be not only a scanner, but also a transmitter of some sort. Yeah, like you said, they're taking on the mission. So they go to the place where the Yamato was when when they were probed, although it's important to note that this is taking them even closer, like very close to the Romulan side of the neutral zone. So this is really dangerous territory that they're in, in a variety of of meanings. So Picard is back in his ready room when Wesley enters. And this, I think this is an opportunity for Wesley not only to talk about what he just saw happen, because obviously it's quite traumatic. You just see a whole other starship die with yeah. maybe a thousand hands on board. But also this is a way for us to get more into the history of the Iconians and what we know about them. So he starts to ask about the Iconians and he was like, I thought they were just a myth. Yeah. And then Picard says a really weird thing. He says China was a myth until Marco Polo discovered it. Yeah, but it wasn't a myth to all the Chinese who lived there. <laughs> yes, it was not a myth to the people who were there. Yeah, and so this is where, like, as progressive as Star Trek is, and it certainly is progressive, comments like that betray who the target audience is. Yes. And that it's still yes. being written from, like, a Euro-ethnocentric pers- perspective, and that we are heading out into space with that mentality. So... You know, China was not a myth. China did exist, even though we haven't seen it. And we're not discovering these places just because we haven't seen them yet. That's not how that works. Yeah. (laughs) And I I, I like your comment that it's this really tells you tells you something about who they were expecting to have watched the show because they some you wouldn't write. Well, I mean, you might write this line and just not think about who your audience is. But you certainly wouldn't write this line if you were being conscious of how it might be taken by someone who is from China and whose ancestors were were there before Marco Polo got there. Exactly. Yeah. And, and when Picard says we, I mean, that's telling oh, yeah, as well. I, sure. I saw a really good thread recently online. It was talking about how sort of the differences in New Trek versus classic trek okay and the criticisms around new trek being too like woke and people responding against that with by saying well star trek has always been political like star trek has always yeah brought up these kinds of of issues and that is true but the characters in charge and those in command were still very much of a white you know, patriarchal kind of like cisgendered mentality. Yeah. And so the problem is now that while those things were, those progressive issues were being brought up, they were still safe in the sense that we weren't really changing who was in charge. Yes. And from whose perspective we were telling these stories from. And so it really does seem like the criticism around New Trek are really just like, I don't see myself as the one who's in the command seat anymore. 
Because when you switch that, you're not able to say something like that anymore. Well, we thought China was a myth. Right, or perhaps... I don't see myself as the only one in the command seat anymore. In the command seat anymore. Because, That's I right, mean, yeah. we still, yeah, like in uh, Strange New Worlds, the captain of the ship is still a straight cis white guy. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, there's more diversity. And I think that this connects to this idea of equity as some kind of zero-sum game. And who counts as we when we head exactly. out into space. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's anything intentional about that whatsoever, but it's it's just one of these, these misses that now we can look back on and say, oh, wait a second. You know, we know that China's not a myth. <laughs> we can do better now. Yeah, and we can do better now. And which which is what is happening with, with Trek, which is what's really important is that in the stories that are being told now, yeah. they're doing their best not to do that. Now, in credit to the show, there is something that was brought up here. In fairness, I didn't pick up on this. It was picked up by a close friend of mine that I was watching okay. the episode with, Ilya, who speaks out on matters of colonialism and indigenous issues here in B.C., Picard changes a word here because he talks about the fact that this sector seems to have had cultural similarities that could only be explained by a single influence. That it could be, and we see this with language groups that seem similar to Iconian afterwards. And Wesley says, uh, uses the word, oh, because the Iconians colonized areas here. Right. But Picard changes the word colonized, he says, to conquer yes. by the Iconians. Yes, I did pick up on that. Yeah. Yes, I didn't pick up on it the first time through. It's important to make that distinction because often what we call colonizing really is conquering in our own history. Or an attempt at conquering at least. Or an attempt at conquering yeah. at least, yes. Yeah, so that's the idea of of the Iconians is that they they conquered other worlds and they were referred to in ancient texts as demons of air and darkness because they were able to travel without ships. They would just appear out of nowhere. And that, that is scary. Yeah. To be fair, on the Enterprise, they, they do seem to do that with their transporter. But. Yeah, and Wesley says that, you know, that sounds like magic. Yeah. And he points out, well, we would probably seem magical to other people. Yeah. There's a quote about this. Oh, I always forget what it's called, but the idea that, like, sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. That's exactly the quote. Yeah, it's by Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur just... C. Clarke. Clarke's Law. That's what it's called. Clarke's Law. I always forget what it's called. But Picard doesn't think that's why Wesley's here. <laughs> so right. Picard's like, like let's, let's talk about why you're really here. Yeah. I, he's like, I don't think you wanted an archaeological or history lesson. So Wesley says that he can't stop thinking about everyone on the Yamato dying and wants to know how everyone else handles that death so easily. Yeah. And Picard explains that it's not easy and... He says we handle it because we're trained to, but it never stops affecting you. It never stops moving you. And he says, yeah, I mean, what he says to Wesley also, which I think is important, he says, we handle it because we are trained to as you will be. So he's acknowledging that Wesley is not trained to do this and that that's not a permanent state. He will he will train if he goes to the academy, he will learn to handle it and also that it will never stop affecting him and that that's actually a good thing and then picard orders tea and you have a note here and i didn't know this that that this is the first time he says tea earl gray hot i have been waiting to hear this since we started this podcast nice picard goes to the replicator and says tea earl gray hot for the first time in the entire series and he gets a potted plant instead <laughs> He doesn't get any tea. It's not even like a wrong food order. It's a plant. It's a plant like it's in a cup. It's not food at all. In a cup. In a cup. It is a plant in a cup. Yes. Yeah. I wonder, if, is it the Earl Grey tea leaves? Oh, I don't actually know. That would be fun. I don't know either. What does Earl Grey tea actually look like? I have no idea. It's made, it's got bergamot in it, but I don't know anything beyond that. What it, what, it, what does it look like as an actual, see, I'm, I'm trying to look up a photo of it now and all it looks like is. Like the actual ground up leaves as they're packaged. I don't know. Anyways, I don't know. That would be funny it would be. if that's what it's, that was. I don't know if that's what it was. Yeah, meant. but so this is the first time we hear tea, Earl Grey hot. So we get two two pieces of, two, two new Picard things in this episode. We get his interest in archaeology and we get his love of Earl Grey tea. Well, we don't know that it's a love yet. We, we will learn. We will learn that that is, this is like a, this is a Picard thing. Yes. And his, he mentions his love of archaeology more as like a hobby. But my, I, my understanding is that he actually studied it at the academy. I don't know if that was like his major or maybe it was a minor or he just did a course or two in it. Because they do seem to put a bigger emphasis on this later is yeah. that archaeology is like central to his studies. So I think maybe this is like, 
They develop that more later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, they're just introducing it here. Like the tea, which yeah. he doesn't even get to drink. So LaForge has determined that the Yamato's problems were not a design flaw. I think LaForge is pretty happy about that. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. love for my galaxy class ship. Yeah. And that it had something to do with the alien probes. So he they can't explain yet why the Enterprise is now having those problems. Right. But we're, we're going to find that out. So yeah. Enterprise finally arrives at a planet. This looks like it's probably the Iconian homeworld. There are no life signs. There are structures on the planet, but they're destroyed with a pattern that seemed consistent with orbital bombardment that happened approximately 200,000 years ago. Yeah. And then as they're looking at it, they get an energy surge from the surface and they see that a projectile has been launched from the planet. And it seems to be the same kind of probe that scanned the Yamato. And Picard is like, ah, here, I can help LaForge out. And he says to LaForge, I'm going to help you with your investigation. I'm going to capture this probe that has just been launched from the Iconian surface. And LaForge says, no, Captain, don't do that. Just as communications cut out. That's the worst. The worst timing for communications to cut out. Hey, Ruthie, did you have any communications the other day? Oh, my gosh. So I had a couple days ago, I had zero communications. I had only communications problem because in all of Canada, the entire Rogers network was down for crying out loud. I had no internet. I had no cell phone. Yeah, we only have like, what, three cell phone providers in the entire country. So and two of them are planning on merging. So. Oh my goodness. And then as a result of that, we couldn't do bank transactions across most of the country. A debit card wasn't working. 911 calls yeah. weren't working across a lot of the country. It just goes to show how terribly telecommunications in our country are monopolized. LaForge, like, he can't get to the bridge. And he's because he's running into all these problems with, like, the doors not opening and there's an issue with the turbo lift. I know that, like, they have, like, the Jeffries tubes and whatever, and we'll see them use those later in the series. But If you've got automatic doors, you should also have like a manual door in the same place. You should not ever only have automatic doors because if they don't work, you're stuck. Also, can't he just use his communicator badge? I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, from my understanding, I'm going to get nerdy here for a second. Yeah. If you read the Star Trek technical manual, it (laughs) says that your communicator badge is its own transmitter receiver. Yeah. But when you're on the ship, it ties into the ship's internal communication systems. But if that system's broken, like they could use like, I mean, for goodness sakes, you could talk to the bridge on a walkie-talkie. Well, maybe the whole network is down, Matthew. Maybe the entire Rogers Enterprise network is down and they have no Wi-Fi or data. No Wi-Fi or data or anything else. And maybe if the comm badges are tied into the system, they've also been affected by this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, it seems silly that they don't have a way in the 24th century to send a signal 500 meters to the bridge. Yeah. Anyways, so LaForge jumps into a turbo lift, and there's also a problem with the turbo lift. So the turbo lift is like either the gravity, the artificial gravity dampeners aren't working at it properly or it's going too fast, but it's like slamming up against the wall. He's like thrown around and there's a weird moment where he gets thrown against a wall and I noticed that the paint was chipped and I don't know why but that was just so surprising to me I think they think that some of these things wouldn't have shown up on camera <laughs> when when we were watching it on SD on like fuzzy right, tube right, televisions right. Yeah. but it's one of those things that now that it's been like transferred to blu-ray and high def like you notice stuff like that it's fine I'll forgive it yeah yeah so he falls he actually loses his visor at one point and then when the turbo lift arrives on the bridge he's like flung out of it and like lands on the floor of the bridge right as Worf is about to launch the tractor beam onto the probe and Riker sees him and and helps him up and LaForge says destroy that probe right away and without any hesitation I think this is like a nice moment of how much Picard trusts his officers Picard's like okay do it absolutely yeah I thought that too I also wanted to just point out there's a really cute shot it's really short from like behind of Riker and LaForge and LaForge is in front of Riker so like you know how the the floor on the bridge is kind of sloped (laughs) right so he looks enormous he looks well LaForge (laughs) LaForge so LaForge looks tiny because Riker is already taller like Jonathan Frakes is taller than LaFar Burton yeah and then and then LaForge is standing on lower ground but you only see them from like the waist up so LaForge looks really tiny compared to Riker it's like how they did the forced perspective stuff with hobbits and Gandalf. Yeah, it kind of looks like, like that. that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're on the observation lounge and LaForge explains that the probe was a transmitter and that it's sending an alien computer program that's like incompatible with the Enterprise's computer systems. And so that's what happened to the Yamato. 
And so they're like, well, then why, why didn't that happen to us? Like, if we have the program on board, why is it, is it working so much more slowly? And so LaForge is saying that basically what happened is because we downloaded the program from the Yamato into like our sensor logs. Yeah. It's like stuck in that one corner of the, of the system's mainframe, as opposed to the, the Yamato, which was scanned by the probe and it basically deposited the program all over the systems all at once. Yeah. So he says we've got a little more breathing room, but not a lot because eventually this software is going to take over the entire ship. Just right now, it's in one section. Also, there's more injuries that are starting to be reported, yeah. probably from like people, I don't know, trying to eat plants or whatever. So <laughs> uh, Data says that Pulaski is not willing to trust turbo lifts. Clearly, I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> so they're sending medical teams throughout like access tunnels around the ship because they don't know, you know, that this is the only way to get around safely. And so there's a shot later on to go to sick bay and like the bio beds aren't working. And one person has a broken leg and there's like another doctor or like a nurse is basically telling Pulaski that the bone knitting devices aren't yeah. working. They don't know what a splint is. And I found that like, okay, so first of all, Pulaski says like, you know, this is how you build a splint. And the nurse is like, well, that's not medicine. And <laughs> and she says, yes, it is. It's a time-honored way of practicing medicine with your head and your hands yeah. uh, and your heart. So get going. But I found it really surprising that like, they didn't know how to make a splint because if yes. you're stuck in a survival situation somewhere, you're not going to necessarily have a bone knitting machine around. Yes, I feel like that is a thing like doctors learn how to do things with all their equipment, but they also learn like, you know, basic first aid and how to how to treat things when they don't have all their equipment around. Like that's yes. that's an important part of medical training. It was pretty, it was pretty rough to hear this person be like, that's not medicine. So here we go to our first like pretty comical scene of the of the episode. They're in engineering data and LaForge are trying to fix things and LaForge gets like zapped by a, a console. So data like pulls him off and flings him across the room. And then there's like this hilarious look on his face where he's like, oh no. And he like runs over and LaForge is face down on the floor and he's like, uh, what happened? And Data's like, well, this is another example of how our actions have random results. And LaForge is like, thanks, Data. Yeah, he's like, I, I noticed. It's, Thank you. It's a really funny scene. Like, Brent Spiner gets to do a little bit of physical comedy there almost. Yeah, we don't see that a lot in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're trying it out in this moment. And it was it's funny. I would have avoided to see more episodes like or more moments like this between LaForge and Data. But we don't, we don't really get it's them. Like a, just a little bit of like, not quite slapstick, but like getting there. A little yeah. bit, yeah. Back in the ready room, Riker tells Picard that life support is now down on some decks and they're worried that they have no hope of controlling or even understanding this program. So Picard thinks there might be records near the launch site that could help them find a solution. He says he will lead the away team. And I thought this was hilarious yeah. because Riker fights him on it like he normally yeah, does. But Picard says he knows more about the Iconians, so he should go. I'm like, but Riker doesn't seem to notice. This is definitely Picard thinking, wait a second, I'm a lot safer on the ground if the ship blows up. So you guys all stay here and get vaporized. I'm going down to Iconia. I mean, sort of in Picard's defense, if the first officer's job is to keep the captain safe, then Riker should say... Sir, you'd be better on the ground right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should actually go down to this planet, It isn't sir. very, it isn't really in line with the, like, whole captain goes down with the ship way of doing Not in this things. sense. Yeah, not if the ship is actually going down yeah, at that he's moment. He's like, I'll though. go down first. <laughs> yeah, I'll take, I, I, I will be the brave one on the surface. <laughs> In the transporter room, O'Brien tells the away team, who is uh, Picard, Worf, and Data, that he has a lock on where the probe seems to have come from, and the transporter is working, uh, but that could change any time. I was like, if you guys don't want to take the turbo lift places? Yeah, but you're okay with the transporter? Yeah, that's... I was like, no, thanks. I'm surprised they didn't take a shuttle down. Yeah. But we all know that shuttles and shuttlecraft in Star Trek are not necessarily safe oh either. Oh my gosh, nothing's safe when you're in space. No. So the Romulan vessel decloaks right after they transport down. Yeah. So they've just beamed down to the surface. The Romulan vessel decloaks. Riker gives a command to put the shields up. And of course, the shields aren't working. Yeah. So then the Romulans disarm rather than firing. And there's a nice moment where Troy like has her hand on Riker's arm just sort of in the background. It's kind of like they were really nervous that they were going to get blown up by the, the Romulan torpedoes. And so like Troy's got her, her hand on uh, on Riker's arm probably both because she's worried and also because she can sense that he's worried. Oh, yeah. Riker says that fate protects fools, little children, and ships named Enterprise. Is that a modified phrase from something else? It is. Okay. I will. I had it. Of course you do. 
<laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Okay, I, I actually don't know the context of this at all, but there was a, a 19th century German prime minister said, God loves children, drunkards, and the United States of America. <laughs> So, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's what Riker is saying. Yeah, I don't. I, I didn't look up the context of that, but I did think that it was funny. That is funny. Yeah. Shields and phaser banks keep like going on and offline. The Romulan torpedoes also continue to arm and disarm. So probably what we're seeing here is that the Romulans are also now infected by the yes. Iconian computer system. So they hail the Romulans yeah. and they ask them why they attempted to fire. Subcommander Taurus of, of the Hakona, yeah. that's the name of the ship, yeah. asks why they are now even deeper into the neutral zone. Yeah, so here again, we go back and forth. Why did you fire on us? Well, why are you even deeper in the neutral zone? Well, why are you still in the neutral zone? Like, it's just, yeah. they're not answering each other. But then she says that she has claimed this planet for the Romulan Empire. And so obviously this is neutral space. You can't claim anything for the Romulan Empire. But she says if the Enterprise does not withdraw, she will destroy them and the away team. And I feel like if she could get control over her torpedoes or phasers or whatever, the Enterprise might be able to destroy itself, but the away team can't. So that actually is a worry. That is a worry, yeah. It's a, they have also have no way of defending themselves, so... But I obviously she's posturing here and Riker is like, rather than fighting, why don't we just like have a ceasefire and try to get our ships fixed and such. And as they're talking, uh, another probe is launched by Iconia. Wesley says that this time he can tell that it's actually on course to the Romulan ship. And so Riker's like, if you have phaser power, please do not use it on us. Use it on that probe. And he's, he's determined that he wants to save their ship too. He doesn't want them to die. He's like, destroy that probe. And she does. Basically, they figure that the Hakona must have also somehow tapped into the Yamato's log. So they are not dealing with the problems that the Yamato is dealing with, but they are dealing with the problems that they are dealing with. Yep, they also weren't using their firewalls. Yep, they didn't use their antivirus. Riker tells them to keep the shields up in case that Taurus decides to fire on them anyway. And then Wesley points out that they won't be able to beam the away team back if the shields are up. Yeah. And so this is a thing in Star Trek kind of goes back and forth depending on plot but that when that the enterprise can beam through the shields from the inside but you can't be back the other way so when the shields are up you can't use the transporter anymore that is the thing no i knew you couldn't bring beam back onto the ship but i didn't realize you could beam people off the ship yes so you can beam off the ship when the shields are up but you can't go the other way around just like you can fire out from the inside of the shields but you can't receive fire back when the shields are so it's like a one-way field basically oh yeah. okay well yeah so down on the surface, the away team has found like a control center that seems to be intact. They can't reach the Enterprise from the surface, but they determine, Picard and Data together, determine that the language that that is written on all of these like panels and and computers, the language is similar to Denazian, Dewan, and Ichabar. So Data, Data decides that He's going to figure out Iconian as much as he can. It's kind of like a Rosetta Stone, right? Like he's using words that he knows from these three languages to try to determine their common source. Yes. And then on the bridge, uh, Riker points out that Troy is quite jumpy. She says that the tension on the ship is really high and that in turn is making her tension really high. He asks her suggestion and she says... He should give everyone something to do to focus their attention on. And I think this moment is actually quite sweet. Mm -hmm. Basically, Riker says, let's think about the fact that we might have to evacuate the ship. It might not happen. We might not be able to do it, but let's get organized. And I want you to organize it for me. I'm pretty sure what he's doing there is he is giving her something to do. But she says everyone needs something to do so that they're less jumpy. She wasn't including herself in that. She thought she would stay on the bridge in case, you know, she's needed for negotiations. But he's like, nope, you're jumpy too. You do not have a current task. I'm going to give you a task. That'll be what you can focus on right now, which I think was quite nice. Yeah, and it, it makes sense because they're this is what they're suffering from right now is also a morale issue. Absolutely. And so she, and she's definitely in, in like one of her roles is ship morale. So this is also, is, is her taking on her, her role. This is what she does. Yeah. 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 Back on the surface, Data has now created a basic working of Iconian based on the languages. Because when we we left in the last scene, the camera actually kind of zooms in on his face and you can see him like programming <laughs> yeah, inside yeah, of his brain. So he's basically processing. processing. So he's taking these three languages and he's trying to create a root language out of Iconian. Yeah. So. And then he starts to list the words. 
that he used. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like mother, brother, sister, like all these other like random Yours, words. And they're mine, like, yeah, 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 people, okay. Family. Yours, mine, people. Uh, so he warns that his interpretation of the symbols won't be exact. And then he tries to do a manual override. So it's hilarious because he goes up to the machine and he like pushes through some buttons and he's like, this should be manual override. And the surge of energy comes up through the console, hits a sphere, which looks very similar to the probes, yeah. and then strikes out past them. So it shoots past all of them, hits these crystals. It resonates with the crystals and then concentrates in the center where it becomes a rectangular doorway through which that they can see, it looks like distant landscapes. Yeah. And then he's like, that was not manual override. <laughs> in, case, in case anyone was wondering how the Iconian lessons are coming along, we don't know the language just yet. Yeah, we not as well as we thought. Yeah. They don't know if it's holographic or not. Yeah. They, they're not sure if this is a holographic projection of somewhere, but Data decides to just walk over it and puts his just arm into the gateway. All the way in. And Picard's like, what on earth are you doing? And he's like, well... <laughs> I can tell you one thing, it's not holographic. Now I'm going to try to walk through it. And Picard is like, no, you might not be able to get back. Yeah, it might be a one-way door. So Picard wonders if this is how the Iconians traveled, and maybe this is where the stories of the demons in air and, of air and darkness yeah. came from, because it seems that the Iconians have a type of gateway travel that can instantaneously transport you to somewhere else. And he says that these locations that they're seeing through the gateway could be in distant parts of the galaxy. And you might have noticed, Ruthie. I did notice. That one of those locations is City Hall in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, cool. They they have a way to get home. And if I'm ever stuck there, I can get home too. Yeah, I could transport you right to downtown <laughs> Toronto. I can, And then I can just walk, you know. But City Hall in Toronto is a kind of exotic looking building. It's got sort of a dome with a curved, these two curved buildings around it. So it does look alien and cool. So it's neat for it to show up in the Iconian gateway. It is. Yeah, it is from that like era of architecture where, I don't know, people were making things that look like they were from like science fiction novel covers. Yeah, retro future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from back that time. Yeah. yeah, so then Picard speculates that maybe the Iconians were not all killed and that maybe they actually escaped. So with, when this orbital bombardment happened, there are no life signs left. Maybe they're not around here anymore, but they could be anywhere, basically. And this is what Varley didn't want the Romulans getting hold yeah. of, because if they had this technology, they could land troops and invasion force past any kind of defenses, shields, like none of that stuff would matter. Like, yeah, that would be dangerous if, if the Romulans had it. It would be dangerous if just about anyone had it. I wouldn't trust even like the Federation with this kind of technology. And I, th I think you're exactly right. And I think Picard gets to that conclusion as well. Yeah, it's not just the Romulans who shouldn't have their hands on this yeah it's pretty dangerous stuff it's it's a very like power imbalancing yeah but data points out here and i think this is an important part mm -hmm. when we start getting into the conversation around history and who controls history yes. as data says that he doesn't think that this was a weapon like when you look at the room it doesn't look like a military staging no. room there's no weapon tools here he's like it just looks like kind of like a transporter room and so they wonder if maybe the stories around the iconians are false perhaps people only were really worried about the, the implications of the technology, even if they were a peaceful people, they can see that their world was bombed from someone and they could have told the story however they want. Worf says the probe was hostile, but Picard says that maybe that was accidental. Like it's not really a, it's not a hostile program. It's mainly just trying to learn their technology. Yeah. So he says the victors invariably write the history to their own advantage. There is an unfortunate tendency in many cultures to fear what you do not understand. Yeah. So the idea that that word switch that you pointed out earlier, where Picard says they were more likely conquerors than colonizers. Yeah. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were just not even colonizing. Maybe they were just people. Going places. And so this area, like calling them demons. Yeah. Like that in particular, that has a certain overtone. And I was thinking in terms of like when I was like when I was traveling abroad and, and even like in my a lot of my studies were in studying the effects of colonization on, on Africa. Right. You have these stories that are told about basically taming I'm gonna use the word because it's used, but it's horrible. Savage people, right. savage lands, right. all the rest of right. it. But when you actually look at pre-colonial African contact, there's like 
city-states and like modern ways of living yeah. uh, that were like all destroyed basically and there's a rewrite then and that's true of, of colonization in North America as well in South America absolutely but that yeah. people are rewritten as being like savage or demonic or evil in order to justify the atrocities that are being committed yeah and I would say that's done not only in retrospect but that's done sort of in the moment we talked about this yes. a while ago I think we talked about this when we were doing measure of a man the idea of like we can all agree that human rights are important it's just who who do we count as human who can we count and as so human? yeah when yeah. you're when you're colonizing or you know if you want to enslave a group of people it's a lot easier to do that if you say well these aren't really people yes they don't count so yeah it's, it's, it's a lot easier to justify bombarding a planet if you say well they're demons Yes. Yeah. yeah, they're demons. And, they, and they're and they a threat because they have this thing. Yes. Even though they may have just been peaceful explorers. Maybe they just built the gateway to try to check out different places in the galaxy. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So then the gateway shows the Hakona Bridge, then the Enterprise Bridge, yeah. then, of course, Toronto. And Picard Toronto City says, Hall. Yeah, and then Picard says, we have found a way home. Yeah, thankfully, it's scanning places that are also close by. Because you'd think that using a gateway to hop into orbit would be a waste. But, you know, good thing it was like, hey, here's somewhere else. You yeah. Know, you want to check out this ship? It's right right <laughs> here. It's also interesting yeah. that it's not actually showing that many places. Like, Worf determines that the cycle is about four minutes long. And then it just repeats. And, you know, each... Each place lasts like several seconds. So it's not actually showing that many different places. Yeah, given how many places it could probably reach to. Yeah. That it's not like a cycle that's a million years long. About four minutes. Especially if it's just on like, yeah, if it's on like auto scan mode, it's like, do you want to try here or here yeah, or here? Exactly. I like this concept of this kind of technology is interesting. It, it reaches into one of my other favorite franchises, which is Stargate, ah, which is yes. based on this idea that you could instantaneously you know, transmit yourself between different places and what the implications of that would be. Yeah. In Star Trek, it's always that it says it takes long to travel these vast distances. But what would happen if you if you didn't have to? And so it's in a way, this is a play on the mechanics of the Star Trek universe is that it's it takes time to travel between places. But what if it what if you couldn't? And then, and that's why Varley knows that this is like a dangerous thing. When I was in high school, I was frequently late. I'm not a morning person, so I couldn't get up early enough to get to school on time. And I mm -hmm. really wished for some kind of technology like this that I could just like. Oh, yeah. OK, now I Step am through. there. Like, be like, OK, well, I, you know, it takes me however long, 20 minutes, half an hour to get to school. I leave probably 10 minutes before school starts. I know I'm not going to get there on time. Of course, if you had that technology, Ruthie, would you use it to just go to school? <laughs> During the week, I would. And then on the weekends, I'd go somewhere else. You're like, I still believe in the value of education. Still want to learn. <laughs> still want to learn. Good for you. That's Ruthie. really funny, though, that like I was like, oh, I wish I had technology that would just get me there instantly. And then I would get to school on time. <laughs> yeah. Not like, you know. I don't know, the moon no, or no, no. wherever else I could go and no, explore. No, yeah. just get to school on time. Good for you. Okay, so Data notices that there's a power surge that's triggered by opening the gateway and realizes that he has access now to the machine. So he's like, okay, well, let's find out what else we can do. But then the machine zaps him very similarly to the probe zapping the Yamato that we see from the logs. And yeah. now he is in also infected by the Iconian program, yeah. which is now trying to rewrite yeah, his software. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. He can't really see. He can't talk the way he could talk before. I, and he's very honest. Like when Data is like, are you okay? And he's like, and he's nope, like no, damaged. I am damaged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Picard is basically, he says to Worf, okay, the next time we see the Enterprise bridge through this gateway, you're going to take data there. And Worf is like, well, we don't know for sure that it actually is the Enterprise. And he's like, well, this is how we're going to find out. Yeah. Then he's like, I'll go through as well. They're like, well, what are you going to do? He's like, well... He's like, I'll step anywhere. He's like, in a moment, everywhere, anywhere in the universe will be preferable to this Yeah, room. because basically Picard says we need to destroy all of this. He's like, destroy that tricorder yeah. that has all the information we got, and I'm going to blow this place up. And so yeah. Data kind of, as much as he can, sort of walks him through how to destroy the space. And essentially what he's going to do is launch those probes, but keep the doors closed so that it'll it'll launch and then blow up and like you were saying he he also realizes that this this is te dangerous technology that's why they destroy the tricorder so no one's yeah, gonna know yeah. how this stuff works exactly picard is you know he's sort of ready to go he he tells Worf, okay take take data through the gate and then yeah like you said 
I'm I will step through the gate before this place blows up. Who knows where I'll end up, but at least I won't be blown up. Worf does. He takes Data through the gateway. He arrives on the bridge and it says we need to take Data to engineering. And then LaForge says this really interesting thing in engineering. He's, he doesn't know how to, how to fix data. And he says, if we had an expert, a Maddox, somebody. So he references Bruce I Maddox. I totally missed that. I totally missed that. I, I kind of like did a double take. And in the subtitles, it said Maddox with a lowercase. And I was like, is that a title? But I'm pretty sure he said a Maddox. Like, like Bruce oh, Maddox. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. I, I wonder, because I've watched this episode so many times that I never caught that before. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if I missed it, but. I wonder if, because from this point forward, when Data has issues, LaForge and or Crusher always seem to know how to help him. Yeah. And I wonder if it's because an event like this happens and LaForge realizes, you know what, you're you're a piece of technology on the ship. I'm responsible for technology on the ship. I should know more about how you operate so I can help you in case something happens. Yeah, or like, I mean, the other way of looking at it is you are, you are, some, you are a person on this ship and someone needs to know how to take care of you. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to imply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that, I know. That was, just to... that's, that's what I mean, yeah. is that like, you know, because I am an expertise of technology on the ship and that is how you operate right. is through technology. Yeah, and absolutely. you're my friend, I should know how you operate. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's not okay to just trust that you will always be in like tip top condition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I think, I think you're right. I think it could be because of this that he's like, I didn't know what to do and I'm not going to let that happen again. Yeah, because Data dies. He fully flatlines. Yeah, so you could hear like a dee, yeah. like on the tricorder, like he's dead and LaForge like closes his eyes. Yeah. Because that's what you do in Star Trek when people die. Yes. And then he says that he's he's gone, like Data's dead. Yeah. And this is why we never see Data in and any then, other and episode of Star it. Trek. And then that's it. And we've, yeah, that's the end of the character. <laughs> that's it. Gone. Yeah. So we go down to the surface and Picard, you know, he enters the sequence that Data told him to enter. He doesn't know that Data has died. I love the, the counting here. It always stands out in my mind. Yeah. It's like, Kanda we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kanda like it. Because it's not in the Kanda. Universal Translator, so he can't understand <laughs> No, it's it. funny. Yeah. But you can tell it's a countdown. I think it's just Yeah, funny. no, I like it. I like it a lot. And then we go back to engineering and Data's eyes open and he sits up. The tension on that didn't last very long, did it? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it's like three minutes yeah. or one or two minutes. But but he has n no memory of what happened after beaming down to Iconia. And there's a, I love the way they do like this scene. LaForge is like, okay, give me a minute. I'm, I'm going to figure this out. I've got all the pieces. I just have to put them together. Give me a second. But basically, LaForge figures that Data's brain, kind of like with the transporter when we had that save point for Pulaski, that Data's brain did the same thing. It did like a hard reset to the point before it encountered this Iconian technology. Yeah, legit, we just turned it off and turned it back on again. Well, right, but in in turning it off, they got rid of the all of the Iconian stuff. Yeah, like a restore point, basically. Exactly. And it's, which is good. It's convenient as well, because that also means that there isn't any information about Iconia stored in data either. Right. So he's not going to remember that. Thank goodness. He's going to remember that. So the, the, the room is about to be destroyed. We've destroyed the tricorder yeah. and data's memory. And it also probably means that when, because when LaForge realizes this, he realizes that they can do the same thing in the Enterprise. They'll wipe the Yamato's log. All the information about the Iconians is now going to be gone. And they have, uh, he says that there's a protected memory backup that the computer can then reinstall. It's like when you have like your your separate partition on your hard drive where your like Windows is stored or whatever. And you can download You're it. You're like, that. oh, I got this virus, but I can just wipe memory clean, but then reload it from like yesterday's backup. Exactly. So that's basically what what they do and Riker is worried that shutting the entire ship down will include shields and the Romulans are right there but LaForge is like well I mean we can die by the Romulans phasers or we can die you know from our own engines blowing up up to yeah, you yeah so and Data's like can I help with anything and they just kind of like leave him sitting <laughs> yeah, there yeah it's really cute <laughs> Brent Spiner gets to do some fun stuff in this episode it does uh, Picard continues entering the sequence, and so he's in the transporter room. So the countdown is happening for the launch of the probes, but now he gives the order for the, the launch bay doors to be sealed. So the probes are basically just going to launch in a closed room, and that will explode yeah. the, the chamber. And so then back on the ship, O'Brien is, like, ready to beam him up, and and Riker's like, because I guess all this, you know, they've done their hard reset, all, everything's functioning, and Riker's like, all right, bring him back. 
But then O'Brien loses him. Picard doesn't know that all of a sudden the transporters are working. So Picard steps through the door. But when he steps through, he doesn't appear on the Enterprise. He appears on the Romulan ship. Yeah. And Taurus is like, you did this. You sabotaged my ship. And he's like, I I didn't actually. And we hear a countdown on the Romulan ship as well. Except this countdown is because the Romulan ship's auto-destruct sequence is activated. And they can't turn it off. She can't turn it off. And she's like, but I have the satisfaction of knowing that you will die with us. And then he gets, it's, it's funny, like, I do transporters work that way? You can just scan the general area for their signal, not even the surface. Like, O'Brien's like, wait a minute, he's on the Romulan ship. Yeah, I guess they're, like, always constantly scanning for, like, life forms and stuff. And so if one of those life forms has moved somewhere I guess, else, I guess yeah. the sensors can pick up on it. Yeah. Taurus is like, you're going to die with us. And as he gets transported away, Picard is like... Not, I think, today, Commander. Picard arrives on the Enterprise and he tells them to get the ship out of there because the Hakona is about to auto-destruct. And Riker's kind enough to be like, okay, well, actually, we might be able to help them. He tells Taurus to expect a transmission with instructions on how to reset the ship and fix everything. But then Picard tells Riker, well, maybe we should get out of here in case their their engineer isn't as efficient as our LaForge. Riker is all about saving the Romulans this episode. He's a peacekeeper. You know, that's that's what we should be doing. We're not trying to blow anyone up. And so we'll... we'll You know what it actually, this episode kind of reminded me of? It, It felt like a better version of the first season episode the last outpost where the ferengi right. and and the enterprise are both trapped that one was just sort of a little goofy this one felt a little more serious i would also wondered if this would have been a better first episode to introduce the romulans <laughs> rather than the neutral zone from last <laughs> yes yeah. yes absolutely i mean we needed that all of that episode i think to establish a lot of what we know about the romulans now it might have taken up too much space in this episode but it might have been i don't know it would have been an interesting place to do it. i mean it's anyway. a better episode regardless <laughs> so yeah oh yeah it was yeah yeah. It would have been. Picard tells Riker that he can see why he likes to keep the away missions to himself, since that's where all the excitement is, and then just kind of walks off. Yeah, then there's like that little moment between like Riker and O'Brien, like, oh yeah, you thought we had no excitement up here? Because he's like, yeah, I bet you, you know, business as usual on the ship. They're like, we, sir, we almost exploded and Data died. Okay. Yeah. Don't give yeah, me that. Yeah. So we see now the, before we saw a moment from the exterior, it's kind of neat, all the, the lights and the you see the warp nacelles and everything powered down on the Enterprise and it powered back up yeah. when we had reset. And we see that kind of happen on the Romulan ship as well now in this scene. Yeah. And then both the Enterprise and the Hakoda fly, fly off in their, their own directions. Not even a thanks. No, no Not thanks. even a thanks, Ruthie. No, thank you. Just, nope. get, just get out of there. I still, I want to, I think I mentioned this before when we first met the Romulans. Their ships are so beautiful. Yeah, the Romulan Diderot X-Class ship is is awesome. It is such a neat looking ship. It's so, the, the green is just so, it looks like, ah, I can't, like it reminds me, I've never seen them uh, myself, but it reminds me almost of like Northern Lights. It, it's just such a neat, unique looking ship. Yeah. thing what i didn't understand as a kid watching it is how much bigger it is than in the enterprise as well oh i didn't is it a lot bigger than the enterprise it's huge so the those ships are so big that you know how like their wings are open in the center there's like that open cavity yeah. basically in the center of the ship the enterprise could fit inside of that oh so when when they make those threats of like if we were going to destroy a federation ship we would have destroyed both of you like they're being totally real like that's not it, like i mean all this is of course nerdy not real spaceship of stuff course. but yes the, my understanding is that those ships are incredibly powerful i think the only way that the enterprise outclasses one of those ships is in speed they're much faster right, right. than those warships but they they are ultimately more powerful i mean they are a, an aggressive military empire i actually find it sometimes surprising that the federation ships can go toe-to-toe with like Klingon and Romulan vessels, considering the Federation's not really an aggressive war-like race. But I guess, I say race, but but, like civilization. But I suppose because it is the combination of so many different planets' technologies that I suppose that's what gives them their strength. That's, That's the thing. In diversity, we have strength. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram or on Twitter at Pod. 
or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know what mundane uses you would have for an Iconian gateway. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And we're always networking positive, but remember to have protected networking. <laughs>